Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Through the Gears podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Bruno, and I do apologize that there has been a long time between episodes. A lot of things came up, so I do apologize for that. But we're going to get into the racing of the weekend, and we'll start with the prestigious 24 Hours of Le Mans. And this was one of the races of the season. And if you missed it, I feel bad for you because this was an absolute amazing display of sports car racing. And I will agree with many others that say that I think we have entered the golden age of endurance sports car racing and especially in the WEC and the competition between the hypercar LMP2 and GTE classes was absolutely outstanding from lights to flag. And it was absolutely miraculous and there was a lot of action for over 20 for the 24-hour race and really the only two downsides I saw from it was the kind of rough execution of the new safety car rules at Le Mans and the TV direction, which didn't really point out as much of the LMP2 GTE or the Garage 56 action as they should have. However, other than that, I think this was an amazing race. And if I were to go over all of it, we'd be here all day. So just here's some points that I think are things to touch over going on in throughout the race. So First off was the lap one crash of the 311 Cadillac with Jack Aiken behind the wheel, taking them out of the race, out of the race basically early on and uh, bringing out a safety car very, very early. And then once the safety car subsided, there was the Ferrari V Toyota battles of the 51 and the 50 versus the 7 and the 8. But not only just that, the sheer balance in hypercar. By the end of this race, the only two manufacturers in the hypercar class that did not lead overall at some point during the race was Van Wall and Glickenhaus. Cadillac led, Porsche led, the Porsche factory team and the Jota team led. You had Cadillac leading, you had Ferrari leading. So there was a lot of balance, there was a lot of parity up front in hypercar and for a long time it was probably about three four horse race oh and i also didn't mention peugeot they led as well it was probably about a four or five horse race at some point during the during the 24 hours of this race and you really didn't you really didn't start to see certain teams and manufacturers pulling away until the first bout of rain and for those that are unaware of the sheer size of the circular south it is 8.3 miles or about 13 kilometers in length and so this rain came in around just before indianapolis to just around the end of the Porsche curves. And where it hit, it hit hard. Very hard. And to the point where it hit a point where approaching Indianapolis from about Indianapolis down to the Porsche curves, 
there was a lot of standing water on the track, but the rest of the track was dry. So you had probably about a sector to two sectors of the course that was drenched in rain, and the rain remaining part of the course was dry. And because of the way that it was coming across the track, it didn't really hit areas like Dunlop or Tete Rouge or the Daytona um, chicane. Um, it didn't really hit them until much later. And so you saw a lot of people kind of debating whether or not to stay on slicks or to go on wets. And the interesting part about this was because of the nature of things is that Okay, you go on the wets, they probably get burnt out or overheated before you even get to Indianapolis because the rest of the track was dry. And so it was a very interesting part. And then when the rain finally did cover the entire track around that time, there was also an incident between um, an LMP2 car and one of the Porsche GTE cars. That caused a safety car because of barrier repairs. And so there was a pretty about about 45 minutes to an hour long stint of just safety car during that point. But the rain came with a force, caught out many drivers, threw a lot of strategies out the window, changed basically the, the very complexion of this race. As we went from having, even from the wet to the transition period, we went from having a Peugeot leading to then him spinning out and get stuck in the dra- in the gravel. Then we had a Jota team Porsche leading till they spun out. and It was a wild sequence. And if you basically survive this sequence, it put you in a great spot. No matter what class you were in, it put you in a great spot to potentially win the race moving forward. And mind you, this was even before we got to nighttime. And this rain, combined with slow zones that were being caused due to incidents, caused a lot of chaos. And some of that chaos was taking out or hindering a lot of the good good teams throughout the throughout the field. And it wasn't just during the daytime that this was happening, but into the nighttime as well, as probably the biggest slow zone incident involved the number seven Toyota, which was being piloted by Kamui Kobayashi. Now, entering into Tete Rouge, there was a next slow zone, approaching a slow zone down the, the long straightaway, and so... One of the LMP2s slammed on the brakes to bring it down to the 80 kilometers needed for the slow zone. Now, Kobayashi, seeing this, hit the brakes as well and not overtaking him because that would have been a penalty. Then suddenly, a Ferrari was doing the same behind him. An LMP2 ran into this Ferrari, which then collided with Kobayashi. And then another LMP2 car collided with Kobayashi on the right-hand side, where the Ferrari hit the left. And these subsequent collisions then caused a hybrid system fault. And if you were watching the race, you could see there are two lights within the cockpit of the vehicle. If they're green, that means 
the vehicle is safe to touch and the hybrid system is not faulty. But these lights went red. And what that means is that there is a hybrid system fault and the vehicle is not safe to touch. Therefore, the driver would have to do a hybrid jump out, a jump out of the vehicle, and basically the vehicle would be forced to retire as they would be sent to what is known as, as what the commentators call it, Area 51, which is most likely an area for unsafe um, vehicles or hypercars with unsafe electrical systems so that they can be placed there to discharge and whatnot until they are safe to touch. So through that, through the nighttime, through more rain in the nighttime hours and crashes, slow zones, spins and whatnot, coming into the day, we had... It had kind of broken down into multiple two-way battles across Hypercar and LMP2 and a three-way battle in GTE. So, out of the rain and out of the nighttime, you had in Hypercar the number 51 Ferrari versus the number 8 Toyota. The number 38 uh, Jota Team Porsche was in this but didn't end up um, spinning out of the Porsche curves and colliding with the wall. So now left down to a two-team battle between Ferrari and Toyota. In LMP2, it was a battle between the number 34 Inter-Europol competition car and the number 41 Team WRT. And in GTE, it was a three-way battle between the number 33 Corvette Racing, the number 85 Iron Dames, and the number 80 CJGR Racing. And... The most interesting of this battle was GTE. And for a long time, there was that three-way battle between those three. And because we didn't really get to see it too much, there were some holes into what happened. But in the end, we'll start with GTE here. It ended up being a Corvette Racing victory with GR Racing and OTR on the podium with Iron Dames being shuffled out to fourth place. And this win from Corvette Racing means that they are capable of securing the title at Monza next month for the, during the six hours of Monza. Then we'll move up a class to LMP2 where... Number 34 into Europol throughout the morning hours and in towards midday were able to make a push and overtake the number 41 Team WRT and then keep it clean, keep it on the track, keep it going and take the victory in LMP2. And now, while we're with this team, I have to give a massive shout out to Fabio Scher of Inter Europol. During the nighttime hours of this race, during a pit stop for the number 34 Interpol team, uh, Inter-Europol team, excuse me, Scherer's foot was run over by the number 33 Cadillac. Not Cadillac, sorry. The number 33 Corvette. And it was suspected that he suffered a broken foot. 
and after the race, um, it was uh, released to us that Sure suffered a fracture in his in his midfoot and had torn ligaments in his foot as well from the incident. Sure went on to complete all of his stints from that point on till the end of the race, including the final stint to the checkered flag. And if you were to take a look at all of his pit stops when he was getting in and out of the car, Scherer was hopping on his right foot, because his left foot was what was run over. He was hopping from the garage to the car, from the car to the garage, on his right foot. He could barely put any weight on his left foot at all. And for those that are unaware or probably have never done any sim work or unaware of that stuff, race car drivers tend to left foot brake. So one of two things was happening here for sure in the car. It's either he had, he was fighting through the plane and still left foot braking, which I kind of find unlikely, or he had, was retraining himself on the fly to right foot brake in order to be able to complete all of his stints which is mad considering by nature most race car drivers will left foot brake so this is insane and then shows an insane level of toughness and diversity from sure to be able to push through that and help his team get on the top step of the podium for lmp2 And now we go to the final class, the final hurrah, the overall winner. And for the first time since their return to the top class in WEC and their first time since returning as a manufacturer in the WEC, Ferrari wins 24 Hours of Le Mans. Alessandro Pereguidi was the one who took the car over the line. And I will have to mention here a big shout out to former Alfa Romeo Formula One driver and Ferrari reserve driver Antonio Giovinazzi. This is a guy that, whether it be politics or performance, saw his F1 dream disappear. And while it may have been upsetting for him, he still found ways to be a part of the Ferrari program and shift towards sports car racing. And that shift has paid off because now he is one of the most successful drivers under the Ferrari banner. And he is the closest one out of all of them between himself, Leclerc, Sainz, all of those drivers that were under the Ferrari banner through Formula One, he has the best resume now. He is the closest to completing the Triple Crown. And he has done more for the Ferrari brand name than their Formula One team, Carlos Sainz or Charles Leclerc has. It's just a fact. Winning the 24 Hours of Le Mans, being a massive contributor to that, is something that shows 
Giovinazzi has the talent. And while Formula One may not recognize it, I'm sure glad the WEC and the Ferrari guys over in their sports car program have realized it. Congratulations, Gio. Now, before we move on, there is one more quote-unquote class that we need to cover. And it's the Garage 56 next-gen Camaro brought in from NASCAR and Hendrick Motorsports. Now, going into this weekend, a lot there was not a lot of expectations for this car. But a lot of people thought this, this thing wouldn't even finish. And while coming into the weekend, coming into the week, many didn't think it would be competitive. It was not only competitive... It was about three to five seconds faster in single lap pace than the entire GTE field. So much so that at the request of the GTE competitors, it was moved from the back of the grid to starting in between LMP2 and GTE. So that it didn't have to try and fight its way through the GTE field towards the start and could just drive away from the GTEs early on. And Jensen Button, Jimmy Johnson, and Mike Rockenfeller drove a great race. Throughout everything that they had to deal with when it came to the rain, the darkness, any troubles that that, that um, plagued this car and what the weather was trying to throw at them, they kept this car in the black stuff. They kept it out of the gravel. They kept it out of the wall. Especially Jimmy Johnson, I will need to say, his nighttime stint when the rain fell was only the fourth time he has ever raced in the rain. And Johnson was able to keep it on the black stuff in probably the most treacherous time of the entire race. Heavy rain late at night. And with them crossing the finish line, that makes them the third Garage 56 entry ever to complete the race. And this is a massive achievement achievement for Hendrick Motorsports, NASCAR, Chad Ganaus, Greg Ives, Jimmy Johnson, Jensen Button, Mike Rockenfeller, everybody over there that went, all the team members. It is a massive, massive, massive accomplishment. And while some say, well, well, they just finished the race, they took the checkered flag. In a race like Le Mans, in a race like... 24 hours of Daytona. 24 hour long races like this. They are long. They are arduous. They are straining. They are difficult. Sometimes. Most times I should say. Finishing the race. Is almost as good as winning it. And for a team. That didn't have much expectations. For a team. That didn't have much behind them. And for a group of guys outside of Rockefeller who did not have much of way of experience in on this track or in this car. This was a massive achievement to be able to take the checkered flag at the 24 hours of Le Mans. And now after such an amazing race, WAC heads to Monza next month for the six hours of Monza. And 
I feel like the closeness of the field will be something that will shine again at Monza, and we will get another great race coming from the World Endurance Championship. Now we head on to the other race that was taking place uh, over the weekend, um, NASCAR at Sonoma. And I did miss the Xfinity Series race uh, due to watching Le Mans. I did catch about 15, 15, 16 hours of Le Mans. I missed the first two, and I missed the end, but I didn't. I did go back and rewatch it. But I did also manage to catch the Cup Series at Sonoma. It was a decent race, though it has shown it is showing a pattern emerging with Cup Series road course races, where there's a lot of long green flags due to signal foul running because it's more difficult to pass because people are making less mistakes and the nature of the Gen 7 cars making them easier to handle on road courses means guys are keeping it pointed straight a lot more often. And if they are being spun out or spinning, they get it back going really quickly and there is no cautions being thrown or less of them being thrown. That aside, we did see another dominant performance from Martin Truex Jr., taking his second win of the season, and really, nobody had the pace for him. After the last restart, it seemed as though Kyle Busch had a chance, but once he was able to get clear of Bush, and once he was able to kind of get into a groove, Truex just took off, and nobody really had the pace for him. Outside of Truex Jr.'s win and Kyle Busch's second, other notable drives would be Chris Buescher in fourth. He was very strong and consistent all throughout the day and showed great pace. Was either in the top 10 or top 5 throughout the race. And it's a big, strong finish for RFK and another good finish for Chris Buescher. Next one up, AJ Allmendinger in sixth place. And in what's been a difficult year for college racing, this is a much-needed top 10, especially for AJ. Um... I think he was expecting a little bit more out of himself and the car coming up from the Xfinity series, but AJ has not really been there much or if at all this season, and so I hope this top 10 finish helps to kind of propel him and the team forward. And finally, Michael McDowell had top 5 speed all day, but has suffered a mistake on the final pit stop where the um, lug nut fell off of one of the wheels and they had to kind of catch it, put it back on he lost some spots he was able, able to drive back for a top 7 finish and 7th place finish is great great stuff for him and the entirety of front row now some of the unfortunate drives for the day was pole sitter Denny Hamlin first off who lost some spots during a pit stop never really was able to really recover and then ended up breaking out after colliding with the inside wall of turn 12, breaking toe link, and then the DVP ran on, ran out on him as they were trying to repair it. Next, Tyler Reddick stayed out on the final pit stops for track position, hoping to kind of bounce his way back up the field, but then suffered a puncture and was relegated down in the closing laps. And finally, the last one, Ryan Blaney, struggled throughout most of the day, 
used some strategy to get up through the field, was running in the top 10 position, was probably going to finish there. But then he ended up getting spun around twice late on in the race, and he was shuffled down to 31st. This now seems the end of first part of the season, the Fox portion of the season, and there will be a week off before the series heads to Nashville on the 25th, in which we will see the return of NBC. And that is it for this episode of the Through the Gears podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Anthony Bruno, and I'll catch you guys next time.